0: Welcome to the Dogwood Podcast, a presentation of Dogwood Church. For more information, visit www.dogwoodchurch.org. Join us now as Pastor Keith Moore shares today's message. When I was about six years old, uh, I was obsessed with having a puppy. And uh, I wanted one, and my dad did not. I didn't understand why he did not, but he did not. Now, he didn't, he didn't tell me he didn't, but I could tell. You know, You know how you can tell what your parents want to do and what they don't. Um, well, one day he pulled in the driveway and uh, in his 1953 Chevy and said, get in the car. And so we got in the car and we rode out to downtown Waco, Georgia. Anybody been to Waco, Georgia before? Yep. And uh, turned off on a dirt road and went down the end of that road and... and uh, there was Mr. Barnes' farm, and we walked out on the farm, and there was a kennel full of beagles, puppies, and he said that one right there. And man, that was an exciting day. Until that night. Now, now there was no, this nothing, you know, nothing in the problem in the house. My dad said people live in the house, so. I'm just saying what my dad said. I know some of you sleep with your dog, and he you can talk to him about that when you get to heaven and talk to him. But he's you know, not in the house. Animals are outside. We're in here. But still, uh, I, I heard that puppy whine all night long. And every time he whined, we comforted. My daddy didn't get up to comfort him alone. He got me up. And then the next morning, he took me... Uh, uh, out back, and he said, Okay, um, here's how you feed him. Oh, no, you open the can. Okay, and oh, we need some water. And that happened a lot all day long. Now, I, I loved that puppy. I enjoyed that puppy. His name was Lightning because he was so fast. Um, but I discovered with increased. Uh, Acquisition come increased problems. My uh, my uncle Charles was uh, one of one of my favorite uncles. He's this gregarious, happy, uh, jolly guy, just wonderful fellow. He lived in Gadsden, Alabama, with my aunt and my cousin. And uh, anybody from Gadsden, Alabama, anybody ever heard of it? Okay, there's a river runs right through it. And uh, a lot of people have, you know, I mean, there's a, you know, there's access to the river right there in town. And a lot of people would have boats. He had a ski boat. It was the first one I'd ever seen. And uh, I was fascinated, a little boy, and I was so excited about that. And so he took us out in the boat. And uh, he said to me something when I told him how much I liked his boat that I didn't understand until I was grown. He wouldn't explain it. Uh, I said, uncle Charles, I like your boat. He said, yeah, I do too. He said, you know, the two happiest days in a man's life. Now, you know, you know what he said. He said, it's the, uh, the first one is when a man buys a boat. The second happiest day in a man's life is when he sells his boat. And I, he, he said, you you'll get it. Well, finally, uh, I, I did, you know, along with, uh, anything like that. My dad summed it up this way. I'm quoting him a lot today. Uh, He just was coming close to his birthday, and he told us kids. He said, okay, kids, we're grown at that time. Had a little means. We could buy them. He said, I appreciate presents, but I don't want anything else that I have to grease or paint or feed. Now, anything that you can buy, any other presents will be, be great. Because along with these things come increased responsibilities, comes increased problems, comes increased difficulties. Well, King Solomon understood that, and uh, 3,000 years ago or so, he was being a responsible father, and he was training his coming-of-age son uh, as to the realities of life, starting with that uh, real life begins by knowing God personally. He called it the fear of the Lord. We call it today... Uh, being saved, becoming a Christian, being born again spiritually. He said the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. This all starts, you understand, you need to know and love and serve and walk with God by faith, and and then the other realms of life fall into place. And then he gave him very, very practical uh, common sense, God-ordained common sense about all of the important realms of life. this was written down in the book of Proverbs. So if you take your Bibles and turn to the book of Proverbs, we're back there again. We're in a series called Good Sense, and uh, we're seeing a few of the things that God said through Solomon to his son and to us in the book of Proverbs about our attitude toward wealth, our attitude toward money and, and possessions. Uh, and one of the things that Solomon taught his son about money and possessions about wealth is this, that an increase in wealth brings an increase in problems. An increase in wealth brings an increase in problems. Wealth causes complications in life. And so uh, we're going to take a look at some of those. God wants you to be wise. Uh, As we've been singing to Him, He wants us to know Him, to follow Jesus, to surrender our lives to Him. We sing, all to Jesus I surrender. But let's be honest, do you know how to do that? I'm not sure I do yet. I think we spend our life, learning all to Jesus I surrender. God help, us, God help us to live out what we sing every Sunday morning. Yeah, there we go. Let's, let's be true to our hymns and to our, our songs. But uh, that is the call, that we deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow Him. And so one of the things that gets in the way of that is our attitude toward wealth, uh, And wealth brings difficulties. I want to talk to you about four. You may want to jot these down on your note sheet. Uh, I'll give you some scripture references. You can look those up later to make sure I'm telling you the right thing. But here we go. Solomon first told his son that more money multiplies fair-weather friends. More money, increased wealth, brings fair-weather friends. Uh, Listen to this, Proverbs chapter 19, verse 6. The last part of that verse says, "Everyone has a friend, Everyone is a friend to a man who gives gifts." Proverbs fourteen twenty says, "There are many who love the rich." Proverbs nineteen verse four says, "Wealth attracts many friends." Now, most wealthy persons that uh, in this world have enough friends, generally speaking. If they have, most wealthy people have all the friends that they. Want. They actually have more than they need, according to this, because sadly, some people attach themselves as friends to people of wealth uh, really to see if they can get a hold of some of the wealth. Uh, they're leeches. Problem is, it's hard to tell who they are. God inspired the writers of Proverbs to warn those of us who come into wealth that we can expect even a multitude. We can expect many people, a number of people, to begin to draw around us, to come into our lives, to seek to become our friend for all the wrong reasons. They ask early and often. Now, some of us feel safe because, well, I'm not wealthy. But let's qualify that a moment. Wealth is relative, right? In, in any culture, in any community, in any setting, in any nation, in any community, in any culture, subculture, wealth is relative. Who is considered to be wealthy and who is not is, is relative. Uh, we have uh, brothers and sisters in our church who live at, at about the poverty level in the United States. Uh, but most of them, compared to our brothers and sisters in the Sudan, are wealthy our brothers and sisters in the Sudan would consider them wealthy. Uh, Many parts of the world would consider every single one of us in this room wealthy. Wealthy. And so it's relative. So uh, here's the deal. If you've got a little bit more than somebody else, they consider you wealthy. And that's highly likely. It's easy to get there. Uh, And it's easy for us to begin to view the people who have just a little bit more than us as they're wealthy and I'm not. And our danger is that we may tend to relate to them for all the wrong reasons. Why? We have a heart problem. It's an indicator that we are sinful people in need of a Savior who needs to redeem us and give us a new heart. Last week I talked about uh, how we have disordered hearts, disoriented hearts, and we need the grace of God through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to redeem us, to give us a new heart and put things in order. Well, more money multiplies fair-weather friends, and uh, they will tend to ask for for help. Their motto might be something like this, God loves you, and I have a wonderful plan for your money. Uh, uh, I've discovered that in our culture, this... This pursuit of becoming friends with wealthy people has actually become an industry. I, I, I doubt it in, that it is in, any, in most other cultures, but in materialistic Western cultures, it has become an industry. So I just for kicks went to Google this week and I Googled this statement, how to make friends with rich people. And uh, I got a few hits. First of all, I, I just glanced at it and thought, oh, well, 430 hits. No, that's 4,300. No, that's 430 million hits on that statement. And Robert, most of them were actually essays and articles in publications uh, in some of the most reputable business journals in the Western culture. Um uh, how to make friends with rich people. So listen, uh, here's a couple of the titles that I discovered. One was how rich people choose their friends. A second one was how to make friends with the rich and powerful. A third was how do I find rich people to hang around. Uh, Another one was eight things to remember when you do hang around with your rich friends. That was a follow-up to the first one. there was another, How to Surround Yourself with Wealthy People, uh, How to Pick Rich and Successful Friends. But here was my favorite title. You ready for this one? If you want rich friends, go to rehab. I thought that might have been a whole essay on that. It was just fascinating to me. So, so God in His wisdom reminds us here that having a lot of money is not all it's cracked up to be. That an increase in wealth brings an increase of Problems, and one of those is that it will multiply our fair weather friends, and this is this can be harmful to us. Proverbs chapter eighteen verse twenty four says it this way: A man with many friends may be harmed, may be harmed. And so the question would come: If you are a person with means and you have a lot of friends, well, pa- Pastor, how do I, how can I tell who's really my friend and who's not? Well, now there's a question, in it? I mean, how do we how do we know? How do we know who is our friend and who's just a leech? How can we tell? Well, write this down. It's very hard. You might not know until we all go to heaven, or, or maybe some of us go and they don't. But um, you never know about that. It is hard, but there are some indicators. This, the Proverbs gives us one indicator. Now, there are more, but Proverbs gives us one indicator. It's found in Proverbs 19, verse 6, the first part of the verse. And it is this, many seek the favor of a generous man. Now, that phrase, seek the favor, is a a Hebrew phrase that carries with it the idea of blatant, insincere flattery. And so, one of the indicators that you may have someone who's hanging around you for less than uh, optimal motivations is that they tend to flatter you often. I mean, they, they tend to compliment you all the time, they tend to flatter you all the time. And, and I mean, not your mama, because she's, you know, not her, but uh, she's going to do that anyway, but but, but other folks. Uh, so Solomon says to us, let this be an indicator. If If we find ourselves motivated to surround ourselves with wealthy people for the wrong reasons. It's an indicator that we are lost people in need of a Savior, that we need transformation of our heart, that we need the gospel, that we need this grace of Christ, this grace of, uh, on which we can stand that will change the course of our existence. Uh, and if we are people of means, we're going to have this problem. And so that's one, but that's not the only one of the problem. Fair-weather friends, another problem that increased wealth brings is this one, Proverbs says, it is a false sense of security. More money produces a false sense of security. Now, what does he mean by that? Well, in, in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 11, the Scripture says, a rich man's wealth is his fortified city. In his imagination, it is like a high wall. Now, there there are two phrases in that passage that, require explanation in our culture fortified city and high wall because I not what's fortified city what's he talking about there well in the culture of Solomon's day there were countries as we know them and Solomon had united the kingdom of of uh, of Israel at that time but but uh, in parts of that world cities as we know them today had they all had They had mayors, but they were more like kings. In fact, they were called kings. If you get way back in the back of the Old Testament in the book of Genesis, you'll find the king of this and the king of that. Well, they were kings of cities. And each city uh, was responsible for its own well-being. And so a fortified city, you you could live out in the country and be exposed, but if you, you were fortunate enough to live in a city... Uh, the cities like to be fortified. Now that was a word that meant that they had enough food stored, they had enough water stored away, they had enough personnel trained to protect the city, and they had enough weapons that they could withhold the enemy should an enemy lay siege to try to take over that city, a fortified city. And their main defense was a wall, a high wall. And so they, uh, the, c- the cities would spare no expense in constructing uh, a wall as high as they could make it and as thick and sturdy as they could make it all the way around the city with big secure gates and guards at the gate. And so, that, that's, so here, God is saying to you and me uh, that a rich man's wealth can become their fortified city. And in their imagination, it's like a high wall. He's saying this, wealth does bring protection, but the problem is this, it doesn't produce the kind of protection that we may tend to believe in. We may tend to believe in. He says the the sense of the line here is this, wealth does protect the rich. Now, in one sense, that's true. In Solomon's day and in our day. For um, wealth protects those who have it from hunger from um, from from nakedness, is what the Bible says, you know, from, from not having enough clothing. It makes sure we have enough clothing. It protects us from homelessness. Wealth protects people from homelessness. They can afford a roof over their heads, a warm, safe, dry, comfortable place to live at least. And wealth provides some protection from some of the violent, wicked people in the world, people of... Wealth in our culture today as well as then could afford to live in a city that was fortified with a wall all the way around and officials and law enforcement uh, folks to help protect them like, like we have in our community. We have many uh, men and women in law enforcement who are members of this congregation. I've spotted several here today and we're very thankful for you all. Uh, but because we are a people generally of wealth in a city of wealth, in a community of wealth, we have some people whose job is to protect us from some. Now, they, no, they, We all know they can't protect us against crazy, but, right? You can't protect against crazy. So another thing, you know, false sense of security. If i got enough wealth, I can protect myself from crazy. No, you can't. But the problem, see, in the ancient world, the poor had none of those things. If you were poor, you had no protection against hunger because every day the poor just tried to find enough food to eat. Uh, they had no protection from uh, from uh, nakedness in that it's hard for us to comprehend of people not having enough clothing. When we say enough clothing, we mean enough sets of clothing. They meant enough to cover your body. Most poor people in the world have one garment. And... Uh, and it's usually not adequate, unfortunately. Uh, there was no protection against that. The poor had no protection against the elements in that they often were homeless, lived on the streets. They certainly had no protection from the violent, wicked people in the world. They were exposed. They were abused. They were oppressed. They were mistreated. And, and that's true today. That's true today. This, this uh, phrase... In his imagination, it is like a high wall. That little phrase, in his imagination, is a Hebrew phrase that carries with it the idea of delusion. He's kidding himself. In his imagination, it's like a high wall. He said, he's kidding himself. It is not like a high wall, for it will not protect you against uh, the things that really matter. It will not protect you against death. It will not protect you against paying the penalty of your sins. It will not protect you uh, from... uh, uh, and not provide for your eternity uh, with God. It will not do so. It will not buy you love. It will not buy you relationships, on and on and on. But the, the, the danger here, the danger here is this. Wealth does provide some help, but it, it, it will not protect us completely. It gives us the illusion That we're going to be okay. If I can just, here's what Solomon would say the phrase financial security is an oxymoron. I mean, it's just, it's not, it's, it's a joke. Financial insecurity, oxymoron. He said finances aren't secure. Now, don't get me wrong. Throughout the scriptures, we've already seen over the years as we've taught from the scriptures, God wants us to be responsible. He has much to say about being stewards of all of the possessions He places uh, under our care and how we're to save and how we're to plan and how we're to work hard and be diligent and, and to the best of our ability have what we need and have more than we need so that we can help our brother man, our, our fellow man, and uh, we're to be generous. But... Um, He's saying here, this is not going to provide ultimate security. Only God provides ultimate security. So, okay, so you want me to take all this nice stuff I can see and say, oh, there's someone up there out there I can't see, and He's, <laughs> he's going to provide my ultimate security, right? Yeah. I'm, I'm, and I, for those of you who are not followers of Christ... Uh, maybe you're naturalist, you're not sure God exists. I understand the difficulty of that. You say, you understand the difficulty, but you believe, yep, I've I bet life in eternity on the fact that Jesus is the one who can secure our life in eternity. And, I, I, and I'm and i going to try to convince you to do the same thing. Uh, so you say, well, Pastor, now wait a minute. You said money does provide protection against hunger and Homelessness and so on, but now you're saying it doesn't provide ultimate protection. Yep, that's, that's what I'm, I'm saying. Uh, the danger is the illusion of ultimate security. Now, the reason that, that God says to you and me, don't depend on it ultimately, is because it is not reliable. It is temporary. Listen to this. Proverbs 23, jot down the reference. Proverbs chapter 23, verses 4 and 5, God says it this way. Don't wear yourself out to get rich. Stop giving your attention to it. As soon as your eyes fly to it, it disappears. For it makes wings for itself and flies like an eagle to the sky. He said, gone in the blink of an eye. He says, wealth is not reliable. You can acquire and acquire and acquire and insure and insure and insure and invest and invest and invest. And you can talk to all your financial advisors and say, I don't don't want anything that's not guaranteed. And they say, well, this is a guaranteed investment. The only thing you know for sure is that what? It's not. It's not. We can't guarantee this. And of all people, at least at this time in history, we Americans should understand that after what we've gone through just in the last recession, we should understand that for many of us, our wealth took wings and flew away like an eagle. I mean, since 2007, uh, I, I did a little research this week. CBS Money Watch kind of did a, a look at the, the, last, the whole recession. They said in, in mid by mid-2013, the average American had lost 55% of their wealth. That nice 401k is like should be like a you know just a two and a half k or something. I don't know what happened. It just it just went away. The value just goes away. What do you? It, it takes wings and, and flies. History tells us this. We've seen it over and over and over. Uh, I'm fascinated with the history of our country, and so I've been watching the the series the men who built America. Have you seen that thing? If you can't, look at it's fascinating. Well, it opens with the story of the life of Cornelius Vanderbilt, known as Commodore Vanderbilt, who had the great uh, shipping and then railroad, built the great shipping and railroad empire. Forbes tells us that at the time of his death in 1877, that he was worth approximately $100 million in $1877 value today. So you, I can't, bigger inflation on that. Some of you got a smartphone and you could do it really quickly, but no telling what that's worth today. hundred thousand, I mean, a hundred million dollars. Well, today, six generations later, none of those enterprises uh, belong to any of his family. That's a bunch of money gone somewhere, but it took wings and Flew away. He said, "Wealth is unreliable. God is not uh, unreliable. He is reliable. Money is fragile. It will not provide us the security of relationships, of health, of life, of death, and eternity. Only the Lord Jesus Christ can do that. And I recommend you hang on to Him. But it's so. It just doesn't. It just seem like it should work that way. Well, sure, it does. That's why so many of us fall over into relying on our." portfolio. That's why Jesus said in Mark chapter 10, verses 23 through 27, Jesus looked around and said to His disciples, how hard it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. But the disciples were astonished at His words. Again, Jesus said to them, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, when we, you should see how solemn you all look right now. It's really kind of funny because that's a, that's a, that's a Hebrew joke. Uh, Hebrew, Hebrew, ancient Hebrew humor was humor by exaggeration. And so when Jesus was making this point, he made it with humor. He said, uh, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And all the disciples laughed. <laughs> that's a good one, Lord. Camel. It's Hebrew humor there? Now, so, so, but, but he made his point, and so they said, "Well, we're astonished. Then who can be saved?" And Jesus, looking at them, said, "With men it is impossible, but not with God, because all things are possible with God." We're thinking here, most of us, bunch of your middle class saying, yeah, those people up there more than us, it's hard for them to get saved. but He's talking about us, people who have enough food, enough clothing, enough shelter, you're wealthy. It's hard for us when we have what we really need to come to faith in Christ. Uh, But with God it's possible. That's why so many in this room have come to faith in Christ. In spite of having enough to eat, enough clothes to wear, place to live. And so you can you can too. So when it comes to our battle with money, we have money problems. Because money multiplies fair weather friends, money creates a false sense of security. But here's a third problem. Money also puffs up our pride and arrogance. It puffs up our pride and arrogance. It it gives us a it makes it, us uh, have a tendency to become arrogant. In First Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, the Scriptures say, instruct those who are rich in the present age not to be arrogant. We have a tendency to do that. In Proverbs 18, 23, the Scripture says, a poor man pleads, but the rich one answers Roughly. Proverbs twenty eight eleven says, a rich man is wise in his own eyes. That's God's way of saying he's a legend in his own mind. Proverbs eighteen twelve says, before his downfall, a man's heart is proud. In Proverbs 26, verse 12, God says to us, do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than for him. I mean, there's hardly anything less attractive than a, a proud, haughty person is there. There's only one thing I've discovered that's less attractive and more disturbing. It's to discover that I'm a proud, haughty person. It's to discover that we are. So how do you treat people of another race? How do you treat people in another economic class? How do you treat people who serve in the service industries? How do you treat? Panhandlers on the street downtown. That's what he's talking about. There, a poor man pleads. Talking about a pan, a a beggar, but a rich one answers roughly. Do you answer? You you gruff with homeless people. Maybe you're not gruff and you're pretty good on the outside, but you're like me and you realize, I think I'm more valuable than them. Had a painful experience. Over a decade ago, about 15 years ago, I went with a mission team to El Salvador for eight days uh, and we spent time serving uh, with our brothers and sisters who are a member of New Life Baptist Church in the inner city uh, San Salvador. So we were down in the, in the public square every day and, and uh, doing street things at night. And uh, it, was a, it was important for me, but it was disturbing for me. It's the first time I'd spent any any more than a couple of days outside the country, and I realized there's stuff in me I didn't know was here, and it was this thing of a, a default setting of a, that I was somehow more valuable than many of the people that I met. And God just, it was it was humiliating to me to discover that that was in my soul. Part of it was not because I was a Christian, it was because I was an American. That's even worse. I was the ugly American. And uh, that's so painful, I just almost couldn't tell you about it this morning. But that stuff's down in us. It's like the greed we talked about last week. It it worms its way into our heart and soul and and gets our heart in its grip. And we, before we know it's there, pride and arrogance. Hmm. God help us. Well, increased money puffs up our pride and we have a greater opportunity to be proud and arrogant. We have a greater opportunity to put a have a false sense of security in our portfolio. We have a wonderful opportunity to multiply fair-weather friends, but there's one more problem, and it's this one. More money magnifies our moral temptations. More money always increases our number of moral temptations, our temptations to sin and disobey God. Jesus told what's arguably... Uh, the most, His most famous story he ever told, and it's one of the most famous stories in all of human literature, is called the parable of the prodigal son back over in the gospel of Luke chapter 15. Jesus told the story of a young man. He was the youngest son, young, one of two sons of a very wealthy uh, man in the community. And one day the younger son came to his father and he did a very cruel, hateful, self-centered thing he asked his father to go ahead and give him his portion of the inheritance. Now, in that culture, that just was not done. It, just was, it was not done. It was horrible. It was cruel. It was as if he was saying to his father, Hey, old man, are you ever going to die? Just give me, I, I'm just going to consider you dead now. Give me what's coming to me. Now, that's the, that's the, that's the spirit of the thing. Well, the father did an amazing thing. He gave the young man, the son, the youngest son, his inheritance fully, the value of one half of his entire estate. And so the Bible says, Jesus said in a couple of days, he just he packed off and went to the desert to another city. I think it was Vegas. And uh, he didn't. It doesn't say, but it sounds a lot like Vegas. Went to another city, and the, the King James Version says he squandered his wealth with riotous living. Now, what that means is, he drank all he could, and partied all he could, and ate all he could, and spent all of it with all the prostitutes that he could. It does talk about the prostitutes right there, and and squandered all of the the money. Now what? What happened? Well, a lot. Of, there's a lot there, but one of the things that happened was all of a sudden he had, he had options. He had a lot of money, and he had options. With increased wealth comes increased opportunity for sexual, moral, all kind of temptations. They increase. My friend Mac McCormick, who's a member of our church years ago, uh, gave me a phrase, and it was this one. He said one of our problems, our challenges here as Americans. Is that we have um, uh, we experience and how does he say it? Uh, the aristocratic dilemma. So what do you mean by that, Mac? And he said, "Well, here's what that means. Back in history, only the aristocrats had enough wealth to have options. Everybody else was just trying to live. For each day. There were no options. But as soon as you had enough wealth, all of a sudden there's options. Every one of us in this room have options. We have more." enough food to eat, clothes to wear, place to live most most likely. And so then everything else is gravy. So we live with the aristocratic dilemma in that we have options. And the more wealth we have, the more of those options are sinful and destructive and very appealing, very appealing. And so if you find yourself tempted, which you do and I do, let's just let that be a reminder that our wealth will not secure us against temptations. It actually gives us more opportunity and that we, therefore, we need Christ. We need a Savior. We need someone who can give us His presence and power to win over our sins, temptation to sin, one sin at a time. That's part of what it means to be saved. Salvation, present. Because increased wealth brings increased problems. More temptations, pride and arrogance, false sense of security, fair-weather friends. So instead, let's make sure we follow Christ. Pray with me. Let's pray. For some of you, you've never turned from your sin or placed your faith in Jesus Christ. And I want to give you that opportunity now. Just from your own heart, in your own words, from your own chair, place where you're seated. Something's been tugging at your heart, and that is God's Spirit seeking to convince you that Jesus is who He claimed to be, that you are sinful, just as the Scriptures declare that you need a Savior, you can't save yourself, that Christ has atoned for your sin on the cross, and that if you ask Him to, He will apply to you personally what He accomplished when He died on the cross and rose from the dead. That is forgiveness of sin, being adopted as a child of God, being given the gift of of eternal life, a home in heaven with Him when you die, being given His Holy Spirit, the presence of the Spirit of Christ to to enable you to live the way He wants you to live and become the person He wants you to become. He'll be at work in you both to desire and to do what pleases Him, the Bible says. All that if you'll turn from your sin, place your trust in Christ. Why don't you do that in your own words? Hundreds of us in this room have made that commitment. For those of us who are followers of Christ and we may have forgotten the gospel and been pursuing an increase of wealth to try to bring security to our lives. Nothing wrong with building wealth, you need to do it for the right reason, but maybe you've forgotten that Jesus is who we need to cleanse and beautify our lives. Why don't you readjust your relationship with Him? Thank you for listening to this week's message. For more information about Dogwood Church, visit www.dogwoodchurch.org.